أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Inshallah, today we're going to continue the discussion about Surah Al-Baqarah and um, who knows which ayah have we reached so far? We're at six now, yeah. So we finished the first five ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah, which primarily talks about the believers, right? So if you look at um, after Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim uh, or after A'udhu Billah Mishtarajim Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif Lam Meem, and then two, three, four, five, it's talking about who? It's talking about the believers, right? The muttaqeen, specifically. Those who protect themselves. Those who want to save themselves. Those who are careful about life. They're not careless. They are careful, right? So Allah describes the muttaqeen in five verses. If you haven't heard the details, you can inshallah refer to the recordings that we've, we've uh, uploaded on the podcast. But basically what we're learning about this group is that Allah says, Ula'ika these are the real winners and we all want to win صح? yes hands up if you want to win and we, we all want to win in this life and we want to win in the next life and we want a win-win life صح ولا لا? Okay. For Allah right from the beginning of the Quran is telling us what the formula is it's right there okay. this is the formula for winning and guess what the next section is going to be about the, the losers, right? So it's going to talk about Al-Kuffar, very sensitive topic. Uh, there's a lot of questions about it, but that's what we're going to get into today. Who are the Kuffar? Kafuru, Allah will talk, he'll talk about it for two ayat, and then he'll, he'll talk about a, a specific group of people that are known as hypocrites who claim to believe, but they're deeply, they're, they don't really have belief. They have a lot of diseases in their hearts and we'll, we'll talk about and all of these things so what Allah is doing is he's, he's telling us he's giving us is this good news by the way is this supposed to be good news when Allah tells us that this book will be guidance for the muttaqeen those who believe in the unseen those who pray those who spend those who believe in everything that was sent to the you know the prophets all the books those who have yaqeen and akhirah, those are the ones who are guided. Those are the ones who are the true winners. When Allah gives you a formula for winning, does this mean that it's, a, it's a good news or that's bad news? Shuraikum. Yes? Good news. It's supposed to make us happy or sad or scared? Happy, right? So this is the style of the Quran. Is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even the style of the prophets when he, he taught Islam, right? It was always, and all the prophets came with this attitude of Bashiran wa Nadiran. What does Bashiran mean? Yeah, the one who brings good news. And then Nadiran is what? The warner, right? So not really bad news, but warning. And in psychology, they call it positive reinforcement and negative reinforcement. You guys know what, what the difference is? We use it with children here. How many of you are parents here? Lehain, huh? But basically with, with children, the way it works is, let's say I tell my, or this happened yesterday in, in class. I was teaching a class, very naughty kids were there in the class. And you know how it is nowadays, the generation today to control them is not easy. But in the beginning, I was a sweet teacher, this kind teacher who was joking around with the students. But then one of the students, his name was Hamza. He was about 12 years old. He was acting smart, interrupting, cracking jokes. And 
So what did I have to do? I was using positive reinforcement. Guys, let's pay attention. We're here to study. We're here to learn. Okay? And let's have fun. It's okay. But then when positive reinforcement doesn't work with certain people, what do you need to do? Negative reinforcement. So what did I do? I changed my tone with him, looked him in the eye and said, Hamza, can you please get up and go and sit that there? And he was like, no, it's okay. I was like, no, Hamza, please go. So his face changed. Like from like bright, a bright face, he became scared and he was upset and all of that, right? But was that needed? to control the overall environment? Yes or no? Okay. And uh, of course, after the, after the talk, I went and I apologized to him and he was cool with it, you know? But that's how teaching works. That's how, you know, hatta in school, you need a principle. Otherwise, what's gonna happen? Yeah. Chaos. And on the streets, you need traffic lights. Otherwise, what's gonna happen? Chaos. You need cameras. You need laws sometimes. You need laws that are warning you all the time. Sometimes you need that, right? It's healthy for you. That's why your parents sometimes can be annoying because they keep nagging, right? Where are you going? What time are you coming back? Don't go there. Don't go here. Don't go out with her. Don't go out with him. And it's annoying sometimes, but deep down inside, do they love us? So why are they warning us? Because they love us, right? So genuinely, they actually love us and therefore... That's what we need to keep in mind when we study today's ayat. That Allah gave us good news because He loves us. And next, He's going to warn us because He loves us, not because He wants to scare us. It's a very common misconception people have. Now, why does Allah scare us in the Qur'an all the time? Why does Allah warn us in the Qur'an? But is it clear? And that sometimes scaring and warning is needed when the positive reinforcement isn't making an impact. And the bottom line is Allah loves us. Otherwise, think about it logically. If Allah didn't love us, if He really wanted us to burn in hell, would He even send us Qur'an as guidance? Would He even give us good news to motivate us? Would He even warn us to you know, save us from the trouble or no? No. If He really was evil, right, then He would not warn us. He would wait for us to you know, basically... Yeah, sin and destroy our lives and you know, this would make his life easy. But no, he went out of his way to warn us because he loves us. Okay? So just some context that's really important. So, and yeah, sorry, I wanted to talk about this other word that's very important that I missed last time. So this word al-akhirah, right? وَبِالْآخِرَةِهُمْ يُقِنُونَ It's usually referred to as what? Al-akhirah. يوم القيامة, Judgment Day, yes? And Allah here says that one of the qualities of the muttaqeen is that they have yaqeen and akhirah. They have full 100% certainty that akhirah exists, that the day of judgment is going to come. صح? But al-akhirah also has this other beautiful meaning in the Quran, which is often uh, overlooked. Okay? And, and this causes major, major problems when it comes to understanding the Quran. But I wanted to clear that right away because the word came up. Al-akhirah came up. And as you read the Quran, Ramadan is coming up, you're going to be reading the Qur'an, you're going to be coming across ayat that talk about akhirah in relation to life. And it can be very, very confusing, very disturbing, and it needs to be clarified. So let's talk about it, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in, in another surah, right? He talks about this idea of بَلْ تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا You favor, تُؤْثِرُونَ from ithar means that you favor. Okay? تُؤْثِرُونَ الْحَيَاةَ الدُّنْيَا 
So what, what is Allah saying? That there is a type of hayat called a hayat ad-dunya. Okay? And then Allah says, وَالْآخِرَةُ خَيْرٌ وَأَبْقَى So it's as if Allah is posing a question that why are you favoring this hayat ad-dunya whereas al-akhirah is much better for you and it's much more lasting. What does khair mean? Khairun. It means better, yeah? Better. And abqa means what? It lasts longer. Lasts longer, right? So it's better and it lasts longer. Okay? So Allah is comparing two things here. Now, for someone who's reading this in a very shallow way, right? What, what do you understand from this? Allah is asking a question. Are you favoring al-hayat al-dunya? Whereas al-akhirah is much better for you and it's much more everlasting. What's the message you're getting here? Yalla, participation. Allah is saying, why are you favoring this hayat al-dunya whereas al-akhirah is much, much better for you? What, what's the message that you get? What are you supposed to be more concerned about? Akhirah, right? Yes? And what's Allah trying to say about this world, this life? What are you learning about this life? It will end. And what else? Between the lines, what is Allah? What does it seem that Allah is saying to you? Don't give too much importance to life. Akhar is much better for you. It's, it's more lasting. Don't focus too much on life. Yes or no? Yes? How many of you got that message through this ayah? Okay, this message is completely wrong, by the way. Okay? <laughs> and that's the danger of this, this understanding, right? So that's why I wanted to, to point this out. Now, Allah never said that life or, or haya or this world is bad. Right? What he's saying is, he described as a specific type of hayat, which is called what? Al-hayat al-dunya. Now, we need to pause and understand. What does al-hayat al-dunya mean? So step number one, is hayat bad in, in and of itself? Hayat, world, life? No, it's not bad. Hayat, can, if, it, if hayat is dunya, then it is? Yeah, dunya, which means low. Which means very, very, um, like, mutadanya, you know? Something that's low. It's not reaching its full potential. You're so low, you're not even, like, growing, okay? Uh, is there something wrong with the door, or? Uh, okay. So we need to make someone stand there and just do this, you know, or... <coughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. But is this point clear, right? So Allah is not talking about hayat in general. Life is not supposed to be bad. You're not supposed to ignore life. What are you supposed to be wary of? Hayat ad-dunya, this type of life is something that you need to be careful of, okay? You should not focus on the low type of life. But then Allah says, وَالْآخِرَةِ Now, akhirah. Yes, it means day of judgment, but what else can it mean in this context now? Think about it. So Allah is saying, Al-Hayat al-Dunya is bad, wal-Akhirah, and the other one is much better and much, much more everlasting. So what could the other one mean? Another type of life. You guys see this? Yes? So is there another type of life? Or all... Or all we have is this hayat al-dunya or can do you have an option to live another type of life what do you think yes, yes you have another another option okay so life in and of itself is neutral okay you decide if you want to live the low life 
which means what? Let's, let's stop and talk about this. What does lo the low life, al hayat dunya means what? What do you think it means? Low. Okay, filled with sins. You're following your shahawat. Yes, okay. Your desire. Mm -hmm. Very good. You don't have any ambitions, right? You're aiming low. Yes? Yeah, short. You're, um, when you're close to the ground, it's like filthy, right? Filthy. The higher up you go, the purer you are. But that's another way of looking at it, yes? So you're living a filthy, low, and you're aiming very low. You don't have any ambitions. That's the type of life that Allah is saying, don't, don't get attached to that, right? Go for the other type of life. Al-Akhirah, right? There's another type of life, which is what? The beautiful life. Allah calls in the Quran, Hayatan Tayyibah. How many of you knew this before? Okay, so now you guys just learned that whenever you read the Quran and you come across Al Hayat al Dunya, what is it going to refer to? The low life. Okay? It's not referring to life as it is because there's many, many ayat in the Quran that talk about Al Hayat al Dunya in a negative way. Okay? This doesn't mean Allah wants you to hate life. This doesn't mean that Allah wants you to yani, lose in life and win in akhirah. Right? So Allah is talking about hayat ad-dunya. This low type of life is what you don't want. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala talks about a beautiful kind of life. And just to refresh, if you remember this slide from back a couple of yeah, uh, weeks ago, Allah talked about people who follow the values type of life, surat mustaqim. These are the people who are living the hayat tayyibah. If you know, remember this ayah, Man, listen to this ayah. Man amila salihan. Whoever does something good. Min dhakarin aw untha. Whether it's a male or a female. Wa huwa mu'minun. And they have firm belief. Falanuhiyannahu hayatan tayyiba. We shall give them a beautiful life. What does tayyiba mean, by the way? Hayatan tayyiba. Tayyib. What is tayyib? So there's goodness in it, there's blessings, purity also, tayyib, right? Allah talks about food, He commands us to eat akil that's halal and tayyibah, right? That is lawful and pure for you. Food that is good, that's good for you, that's beneficial for you, right? So Allah says that there's a type of haya called hayat and tayyibah. And who gets it? People who do good deeds, those who believe. And Allah's telling us, and by the way, this word came in the Quran just once. This description of al-hayat came just once in the Quran. Whereas everywhere else where Allah talks about al-hayat, He talks about it in the dunya sense. Why? Let's pause and think about this. Why do you think? Why is it only mentioned once? And why is Allah talking negatively about al-hayat al-dunya over and over and over again in the Quran? Why? It's an important question, right? Shraikum, why do you think? Yes, because it's so common. Right? Hayat al-dunya is so common that Allah keeps mentioning it and warn, like, it's like warning us, right? Allah keeps warning us, Hayat al-dunya is no good for you. Hayat al-dunya is no good for you. No good for you. No good for you. It's like reminding us. Whenever Allah repeats something in the Quran, why does He do that? Why does Allah repeat certain things in the Quran? And, very good, to emphasize the importance, and why else? 
maybe to introduce a new meaning to it, but more importantly, why does he repeat certain things in the Quran over and over and over again? Because people don't listen once, yes, and people actually overlook its importance, right? They actually forget its importance. Okay? But like our attitude unfortunately as human beings is and when we know something when we think we know something and we and it gets repeated, what what's the attitude we have? Let's say today I tell you, okay, today we're going to be talking about Surah Al-Fatiha. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh no, not Fatiha. I already know Fatiha. Can we do some other Surah? For some of you, that's the attitude. And I already know this. Can we do something else? But how often do we have to recite Fatiha? Every Salah, right? Why do we have to recite it every Salah? Because that's how important it is. That's how powerful those reminders are. And Hatta fil Quran, every other page you'll see a mention of Yom al Qiyamah, Yom al Qiyamah, Yom al Qiyamah, right? Why? Why is Allah repeating Yom al Qiyamah over and over and over again in the Quran? Because that's the most forgotten concept in our lives today, right? Like in the news, they won't talk about Yom al Qiyamah. You put TV on, they won't, they won't talk about Yom al Qiyamah. You go out with your friends for coffee. They won't be talking about Yom Al-Qiyamah. Yes or no? Fa Allah repeats certain things in the Quran over and over again to, to make us realize that these concepts are very important and you're forgetting them. So pay attention. Okay? But similarly, Hayat al-Dunya is mentioned over and over and over again because everybody, most people are forgetting that this is the low life, this life of shahawat, this life of just low desires and greed and selfishness and you know, acting like an animal. Right? Where all you think about is your own desires and you're not thinking about the you know, bigger things in life, then you're living in Hayat al Dunya. Does it make sense? Yes? So I, w- I just want to point this out to clarify this, this concept here. Okay. And you know, looking at it hatta from a, a psychological perspective, you guys know Maslow's needs of hierarchy? Eh? Remember that from back in school? What was at the lowest? Yeah, at the lowest was physical needs. Food, sleep, uh, sex, and uh, you know, going to the bathroom and those kind of things. Like the basic survival needs. Okay? So, when Allah talks about hayat al-dunya, He's talking about people who all they worry about is... All they worry about is food, sex, drink, sleeping, and uh, you know, basic things. And as the higher up you go, the more smaller the pyramid gets. Why does it get smaller and smaller, by the way? Why did Maslow design it as a, as a pyramid? Then that, the next step is safety and security. You want the sense of security, a sense of belonging, family, structure. This is when you start thinking about marriage. Okay? Here you're in your teens, your hormones are going crazy. And ideally, as you evolve, now you're thinking about family, you're thinking about structure, you're thinking about getting a house, you want a shelter. And then eventually you want to get married, you want love, you want a sense of belonging, you need friends, you need company, right? Uh, and then you want to achieve things in life. Self-esteem, so you're going higher up. You have confidence, you have self-esteem. And then, as you grow, now you become cognitive. You start having questions. Now you start reading books, you start... 
uh, questioning things. You start thinking. You start, you start thinking about life. Is life all about just this stuff here or is there something more to life? So you become cognitive and then you reach this level where now you are appreciating the beauty all around you. Now you see the world in a completely different way. And then right up at the top is what we call self-actualization. That's what Maslow called it. Yeah? Self-actualization. Okay? So what is al hayat al-dunya in this context? It's living the life of, sorry to say, but animals, yani. Because animals also live to eat, drink, sleep, poop, and, you know, recreate and die. Sah? Yes or no? And so, do, do many people live this kind of life? What do you think? Yes? But that's what Hayat al-Dunya is talking about. Whereas Hayat al-Tayyibah is where you are on this journey to go up and up uplift yourself and become someone who has higher ambitions and you want to actualize yourself. Why? And now coming to this weird picture here for some of you who you might think that this is, what is Fahad teaching us, Hinduism, Buddhism? No. But this is basically energy, okay? This is uh, the science of energy. How many are familiar with energy points in your body and the science of energy? Okay, not many. So, okay, inshallah, highly recommend you to start reading into this. Very interesting stuff, okay? And when you, wallahi, you want to understand the Qur'an better? Understand energy better, okay? Because there's a lot of things that will become very clear to you. So, the way it, there's different theories of how many energy centers we have. That's for the sake of this, you know, just to match it with Maslow's needs of hierarchy. You have certain energy centers in your body, okay? Think of energy centers like substations, of uh, electricity substations, yes? What's the point of the electricity substations in your neighborhood? What do they do? Yeah, they, they distribute power to the houses in that neighborhood. Where does the main substation come from? From Parag, right? The, there's, I think, a station, in, uh, the main one is in Parag, right? And so you need substations, energy centers to distribute. So similarly, our body has energy centers. So al-hayat al-dunya are people who all they think about is, subhanAllah, look at your bodies. Allah has designed our bodies to also match with this, with this idea of you know, spiritual development and, and psychological development. So your basic needs, the needs of food, sex, drink, these are needs that are low. Yes? They are low, low needs. And the higher up you go, now you need self-esteem, you need self-confidence, that's here. That's why when you get nervous, what starts happening to your body? Where do you start feeling pain? Here, right? And your heart starts pumping. And then love, where is love? It's in the heart, right? And then your need to express is where? It's the throat. And then your, your ability to think and reflect is where? It's the forehead. And then your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is where? It's the crown here, right? That's why you see the Pope wearing that big cap, right? That's why like in the, in the Muslim tradition you have the caps and you, know, you cover your head and that's why the domes are designed like a, uh, in the masjid the domes are designed in a, in a way which basically helps you evolve spiritually. So all of these things are connected. Now what do we do in Ramadan by the way? Since Ramadan is coming up. What is Ramadan actually about? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to disconnect the physical needs in Ramadan. He wants us to 
divorce al-hayat al-dunya for one month and focus on what? On activating the higher energy centers and connect with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and realize that you are more than just this. Okay? That's why you abstain from food, drink, and, and you know, sexual relations during the fast. Why? Because Allah wants you to activate these higher ones, right? And, and some of you probably feel that. Yes, towards the end of Ramadan. How many of you felt uh, different towards the end of Ramadan? How many of you feel that every year? Hands up if you do. Yeah, so that's what's happening is Allah subhanahu has designed this one month for us to realize that we are more than just these physical needs. We are more. We have more yani, higher ambitions, right? Than this hayat al-dunya. And, and where do you taste al-hayat al-tayyibah? It's where you go up here. That's where al-hayat al-tayyibah comes. That's where you have love in your heart. That's where you have you know, that connection to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you see the world in a different way. You appreciate life in a different way. You become grateful. You become someone who reflects, someone who has curiosity. You're not just living on autopilot. That's how most people live, صح? autopilot. I'll do what everybody else is doing. I'll just follow the crowd. But what the Quran does, it, it you know, inspires you to think differently it actually wakes you up and makes you realize that, wow, there's more to it, right? And the higher up you go, what will the people around you say about you? What are the comments you're going to start getting? Weird. Yeah, you're getting weird. Why are you acting this way? They might, uh, you know, criticize you. They might make fun of you for being a bit weird. Why are you reading books? Come on, let's go to the movies. La, 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 I want to read a book. But your interest starts changing. When everybody's gossiping, you're not interested in gossip anymore. Right? When uh, people are busy shopping, you want to go and help at the you know, orphanage or you want to do something more meaningful. But you become weird in a good way, right? Not in a bad way. Okay? And that's why the pyramid gets smaller. It's because really the, any, in any community, the minority are the people who are going to be going higher up there, the majority are probably going to be still living that hayat al-dunya. So is this, is this interesting to some of you? Yes? How the, the human body is also structured in a way for us to evolve, right? Okay? And by the way, just a side note, all of your organs are connected to these energy centers. Okay? So let's say you have uh, a bad throat problem, it's because this energy center is not functioning properly, right? So you can take as many medicines you want, right? But if you don't fix the, the root of the problem, which is this energy center, it's going to come back, right? And same thing goes for your stomach, same thing goes for your, every, every part of your body, right? So all diseases, all physical diseases are connected to our like, psychology and connected to energy. Very interesting stuff. If you want to know more about it, talk to me after class, inshallah, okay? So, basically, Again, just to wrap up this topic of hayat al-dunya, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not create us to just survive. And if you look at a chart of someone who wants to survive, it's really like and you're growing, but then you reach a stage of stagnation. So this would be basically you going to school to get good grades, and then to graduate, um, get a nice job, get a nice car, get married, have kids, wait for retirement, and then... Life is over. Okay? 
Does that sound familiar, this kind of life? Yes? That's the life of survival, where you're barely just surviving. Okay? Most people live this kind of life. So yeah, you have a nice quality of life, but you're trying to play safe, you're trying to do what everybody else is doing. Whereas the true self, this ruh inside of you, right? This hayatun tayyibah comes out when you become someone who aspires to thrive, right? To so survive and thrive. And thriving, there is adventure, there is excitement, there is some element of uncertainty. And there will be ups and downs. And you learn from these ups and downs. Every, think of every, every um, drop that you have is a growth period, actually. They call these growth periods. They don't call them, you know, tragedies. What, do, what, do, what does society call these incidents? Tragedies. Oh, I went through such a bad tragedy last year. No, call it something positive. Call it a growth period. Because with every tragedy, with every difficulty, what happens to you? You progress, you mature, right? So you want to have more of these, actually. You want to have more of these. And the more you have, the more aware you become, the more smarter you become, the more mature you become. But it's, again, not for everybody. Now, now look at the stories of the prophets in the Quran, even our beloved prophet Muhammad What kind of life did he live? Did he live this kind of life or did he live this kind of life? What do you think? Thrive, Thrive or survive? And is he not our example? Yes? Uh, when we talk about following the Prophet, that's how you follow the Prophet. It's where you thrive, right? Where you live, because you only live once, right? You want to make the best of it. But this false self, what it does, it, it, you know, it lies to you. It uh, puts all sorts of rules for you. It uh, scares you all the time. You know, you're always careful. You're always not willing to take that risk because of certain things that we'll talk about today. So, hayat dunya guys, yes? Survival. But that's the akhirah. Wal-akhiratu khayrun wa-abqa. And Allah said, inna dhalika lafi al-ula, Ibrahim wa Musa. This is what all the previous books have been talking about. So let's get to today's topic, yes? So let's talk about kufr now. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finished describing the muttaqeen and he says about the kuffar, inna al-ladhina kafaru, it's a very strange statement. Allah is saying, no doubt about it. Inna means there is no doubt about it. Right? Those who chose to disbelieve, and we'll talk about kufr in more depth, those who decided to do kufr, whether you warn them or you don't warn them, they will never believe. Now what's the question that comes to your mind? When you read this ayah, there's a very um, obvious question that comes to mind, right? It seems as if Allah has already destined their end, right? It's as if these kuffar have no choice. Whether you warn them or not, they are never going to believe. So what, what does it raise inside of you as a question? Yeah. I mean, if, if, it's, if they're not going to believe, then why send prophets? Why guide them? Why, you know? What's the whole point? They don't have any freedom to choose. And many, many people have this doubt. If Allah already knows everything, then what's the point of judging me? What's the point of heaven and hell? What's the point of all of this? Okay. 
So let's try to understand, first of all, what does kufr mean? So kufr in, in the Qur'an is really the opposite of two things. On, in some contexts, it's the opposite of iman. So either you believe or you disbelieve. If you believe, then you're a mu'min. If you disbelieve, you're a, you're a kafir. And kufr comes from uh, covering something. Literally, kufr, cover, cover. Think of it that way, cover. You're covering something. So all of us were born with this iman in our hearts, right? What is it called when you're born with iman? What is it called? Fitrah, right? It's called fitrah. This, um, you can also call it al-hanifiyah, right? Your pure origin. This is what you were born with. And then what does kufr do? It covers that beautiful, innocent, and pure origin that you have. And you cover, you're covering it. You're denying it. You're not appreciating it. Okay? And that's another meaning of uh, uh, the opposite of kufr is shukr. So kufr means ingratitude. The opposite of kufr is shukr. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَئِنْ شَكَرْتُمْ لَأَزِيدَنَّكُمْ وَلَئِنْ كَفَرْتُمْ إِنَّ عَذَابِ لَشَدِيدٌ Okay, so he talks about shukr as the opposite of kufr. Shukr means gratitude. Kufr means ingratitude. When you are not appreciative of what you have. When you are not grateful for all the things you have. When you're focusing on the negative things in your life. When you're complaining about what's not going right. And when you're paying attention to the things that are going wrong in your life. Okay? That's another thing that the false self, this mind, this false self, that's what it does. It makes you focus on the things that are not going right in your life. It makes you focus on the bad stuff. It makes you focus on things that you don't have yet. What are you supposed to do to the mind to, to turn it down? Can you tell the mind to shut up? No. Is it ever going to shut up? It's never going to shut up because it's, it's, you need it actually. You know when you need this mind? You actually need this mind when you're in the jungle and there's like a lion in front of you. And the mind tells you, be careful, don't go near it, try to escape, 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 escape. So that fear, is it a healthy type of fear? Yes? Because it's going to help you save your life. That's the functionality of this, this mind, right? So if you tell the mind that, no, I'm not going to listen to you, and you go and you try to play with the lion, what's going to happen probably? What's going to happen if you try to play with the lion in the jungle? Yeah, you're going to get in trouble. Huh? Okay. But in most cases, you don't need this mind. So what do you do to it? You just basically tell it four words. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. And you basically do it anyway. You do whatever you want to do anyway. You can't shut it up, but you can always go for it. So if the mind is suggesting to you to listen to or, or to think about negative thoughts, about complaining, about what's not right, about all the things that are bad in your life, what do you say to it? Thank you for sharing. And you focus on what's going right in your life okay but that's just a very kind of brief idea of what kufr is now here Allah is not talking about all all non-muslims okay and this is very controversial so I have to explain it in more depth who is a kafir who is a kafir you tell me Okay, who doesn't believe in the existence of God? 
Did you know that Quraysh, Quraysh, the disbelievers of Quraysh, they actually believed in the existence of God? Yeah. So if you've asked them who created the heavens and the earth, they would say Allah. So they actually believed in the existence of God. It's much deeper, exactly. It's much deeper. So um, is your non-Muslim teacher a kafir? Is your non-Muslim uh, employee a kafir? Okay. That's confusing, صح? We need clarity on, on who is a kafir and do we even have the license to say if he's a kafir or not? These are things we don't know what they believe in, yes? So if, if someone's doing this, he comes to you and he says, Atma Namaste. Is he a kafir? Do you even know what this means? How many of you know what this means? We don't know, right? But what comes to mind? What comes to mind is Hinduism, idol worshipping, shirk, right? That's what comes to mind. And you start judging. By the way, this is a beautiful uh, salutation to... It basically means, I respect your soul. That's what Atma Namaste means, actually. I respect your soul. Very beautiful, like dua, right? Very beautiful way of greeting someone. Sometimes we have so many misconceptions about what is shirk, what is kufr, and, and like we, there's so much confusion that we need to clarify this. So, you know, I'm going to have to take the time today to, inshallah, give you all clarity, inshallah, about this idea. Okay, so I don't want to rush through this word because it's, it's going to come over and over and over and over and over again in the Quran, right? But if you still have the wrong idea of what, who a kafir is, then it's not going to make sense. It's going to create a lot of doubt and confusion. So, but once you have it clear and you start reading Quran this Ramadan, inshallah you'll appreciate the clarity you get. Okay? Ready? And again, I'm not claiming that whatever I'm about to say is the ultimate truth. These are my opinions. Feel free to agree or disagree. Okay? Yeah? So, in my opinion, my understanding is a kafir is someone who has been who has heard the true message. Who has heard what? The true message okay, of Islam, yes? So they've heard it. Notice I said the true message. Because could, could it be a false message of Islam? Yes. So they've heard the true message of Islam, number one, that's one condition. Number two, they have understood it. Right? It makes sense to them. And number three, they rejected it. Okay, that for me is the definition of a kafir. Okay? So it's not a bad word, by the way. Kafir is not a bad word. It's just someone who has chosen to reject a message that he understood. Okay? And in the context of Sirah and the Prophet's life, who are primarily the kuffar based on this definition? Yalla, who can tell me? Who are, who are the people who, under, who heard the true message, they, believe, they understood it, but they rejected it anyway? Quraysh, kind of. Okay, close. Who in the Yahud and the Masihin? Who in the Ahl al-Kitab? Very good. The, the priests, the scholars, right? The top uh, scholars of those religions. Because they were learned, they, they knew the stuff, they knew that 
Prophet was the final messenger. They knew that he was coming. They knew that the Quran is the word of God. But, and they understood it because they were learned people, right? But they rejected it. Why did they reject it? Fear, ego, all sorts of things, right? Yes? Power, and they wanted, you know, their influence was going to go away, their control was going to go away, so they rejected it anyway. So those are the people who are the real people who decide to do kufr. They decide to reject it. Does it make sense so far? Yes? So your, so your English teacher in school, has he heard the true message of Islam? Has he understood what true Islam really means? So can we label him a kafir? Your Hindu employee at work, has he heard the true message of Islam? Has he understood it? No. So if he rejects it, then you can't label him a kafir. So I hope this definition makes sense. Yes? How do you feel about it in your heart? Does it make sense? Yes? Now, how many people have actually heard the true message of Islam in the world today? How many people have actually understood Islam? So do we have a lot of kuffar in the world today? No, right? So the word kafir, whenever you read in the Quran, kafirun, qul ya kafirun, there's a surah called ya kafirun. You can't go to your, um, you know, non-Muslim uh, friend and say, lakum deenukum waliyadeen, you know, ya ayyuhal kafirun, la a'budu ma ta'bud. No, Allah's not talking about any, anybody out there. No, He's talking about a very, very, very specific group of people who have gone through this process. And in today's world, they are very, very few, by the way. Very, very few. Okay? It's a very small minority. Make sense? Yes? Okay? So, keep this in mind. Use this as like your lens when you read the Quran and we, when, you look at the kuffar, when you look at the verses of the kuffar. Allah's not talking about the average non-Muslim. And the next discussion will be who is a non-Muslim? And who is a Muslim? Because to understand kufr, you have to understand Islam first, right? You have to understand what the true message is to, to know who is rejecting it. Yes or no? Yeah? So, other meanings of kufr is denial, rejection, denial, resistance also. Yes? Okay? So you know the truth, but you're resisting it anyway. That's, these are also ways of understanding what uh, kufr is. So remember covering. Those, those scholars of Bani Israel, they knew the message, it was the truth. They understood it, but they covered the truth. You see how it makes sense now? They covered the truth. They didn't want anybody to see it because of ego and other things. You have a question? Yeah? Mm. Thank you. Very good. Yeah, so... In the context of Fatiha, Maghdubi alayhim are really these people. Why? Because they intentionally are rejecting it, knowing it's the truth. Whereas Dalin are people who don't even know. They don't even know the true message of Islam. They're lost. They have, they're ignorant. They don't have the knowledge, right? And who, ha who has done a poor job of not giving the message out? Us, yani, if, if we truly are Muslims. Yani, yeah. So that's, that's the tragedy, okay? Let's not call it tragedy, let's call it growth period. It's a growth period, inshallah, for all of us, yes? We're all growing in this period. That's why we're here, yes? To grow, inshallah. So just to refresh, I've, I know I've talked about this, but I wanna drill it in your mind. And since there are new people here, a lot of what we're gonna talk about is 
a refresher, but we need to drill it in your mind so it's clear for everybody, okay? So for, if you've already heard this stuff, what's the attitude you should not have? Don't say, I, don't, I already know this, yeah? It's a refresher, so there's benefit and remembrance. فَذَكِّرْ إِنَّ الذِّكْرَ تَنْفَعَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ Allah says, remind, because reminder benefits the believers, right? So there is the ultimate truth, okay, out there which is the truth of Allah, the truth of the Qur'an, the truth of the true Islam, yes? And there's people who are going to accept it, and there's people who are going to deny it. Those who accept it are going to be called what? What are we going to name them? Yeah, Muslimin, Mu'mineen, yes? Muslimin, Mu'mineen, okay? Those who deny it? Kufar, okay? But it's not that simple, right? That's why I've, I've gone deeper now. It depends why did they deny it. Did they deny it out, out of arrogance or out of ignorance? That's where Maghdub Alim and Dalin are coming in now, you see? So if they've denied it because of arrogance, then yes, those are the people who they know the truth, they understand it, and they reject it. But if they know it out of, uh, if they don't, if they deny it out of ignorance, then that's a separate problem, that's, that's Dalin, and we have no, and do you think the majority today who don't know about Islam are in the Dalin category? Yes? Do you think they're going to burn in hell? What do you think? Allahu alam, but يعني, it doesn't make sense, صح? يعني, they don't, nobody gave them the message. There are no more prophets today. يعني, people who accepted it, they accepted it because there was a prophet who taught them this, but that chain is disconnected now. Yes, the Quran is there as your ultimate guide, but who's going to help people understand the true message? يعني, we need to give them a break. Okay. They are dhalin because of a lot of missing information, a lot of mis misinformation out there. And are a lot of so-called Muslims dhalin also? Yeah. Yes. Do Muslims today have misinformation about Islam, missing information about Islam? Yeah. Yes. So when you read غَيْرِ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ Are you supposed to think about the Jews and the Christians and all the Hindus and Buddhists? Who are you supposed to think about? Yourself. Yourself. Yes? You're supposed to, it's a self-check. Am I, do I have ego? Am I being arrogant in my life? Am I ignorant? Do I have missing information? Do I have clarity? You see? So that's going to be your fuel to kind of grow. Yes? Okay? Reflect, self-reflection. Very good. Another very important point is, so the Sahaba had an advantage because they had a prophet among them, right? And the prophet basically told them what the truth is and they accepted it, right? But were they still a minority, the Sahaba? They still were a minority, yes or no? Okay, The majority denied it. But the question now is, there are no more prophets. But is it fair? A question that comes to mind is how is it fair that the Sahaba get a prophet, a teacher among them who teaches them, but we don't have that, we just have the Quran. Is that fair? Is Allah fair? How is it fair? Yalla, trick question. How is it fair? Hmm? 
Yeah? It's fair? Okay, very good. We have technology. We have the Quran. I love that answer. We have the Quran, right? So what did the Prophet leave us? What did the Prophet teach them, the Sahaba? Do we have the same Quran? So what makes it fair, guys, is this book. Nothing else. The Quran, that's why it's, it's a basically a miracle, right? That's why it's a book that Allah has promised will never ever be tampered with, will never be changed, will never be fabricated because Allah has promised that He's going to preserve it until the Day of Judgment. But this book is our only kind of rope that we, if we hold on to, we'll be guided. Okay? That's another yani, reality check for all of us is how, how is our relationship with the Quran? You know, something to think about. Is it, uh, you know, something that comes out when you're in trouble or when you're sad? Is it something that comes out when someone dies? In many cultures, Quran comes out when people die. And we read it for those who've died. Yani. Did the Quran, is the Quran guidance for people who died or people who are living? Yeah. yeah. Fa, again, just some reminder for all of us in uh, yani, how is our relationship with the Quran? Every one of you should ask yourself this question. Am I really going to the Quran to seek guidance? Am I really trying to? Do I have that curiosity? Do I have that willingness to understand? And inshallah, I'm guessing yes, because you're here, right? That's why you're here, inshallah, to get a bit of more understanding about the Quran. So great job, Yan. Yeah. Give yourself a tap on the shoulder. Let's talk about who a Muslim is. Some of you have seen this before, but today we have different religions. We have Islam, Islam, okay? In one circle, we have Jews, we have Christians, we have other religions like Buddhism, you know, Taoism, Hinduism, and then you have atheists also who don't believe in any God, yes? And every religion is claiming that they're the truth, yes? Which religion do we belong to? Which circle? Which color is it? This? Okay, so some of you are ahead. I'm just refreshing. But we've been born and raised to think that this is the truth. Yes or no? And that everybody else is going to go where? Everybody else is going to burn in? Hell. Yes? And we're right. Everybody else is wrong. And we have the Quran, so we're right. They have the Bible. They have the Torah. Those books are you know, no good anymore. And these atheists, yeah, man, these guys will definitely burn in hell. That's our impression. Muslims are the only ones who are going to go to heaven. But this is, this is a very like, problematic approach. Now, number one, you have ego. You think you're better than others. Number two, there will, yani, all you think about is when will these guys convert to Islam? That becomes your goal in life, is to convert people into Islam. The question is, is this, is this the right approach? Are people using this approach today? Trying to convert and convince people to accept this Islam as the true message? Yes. And they celebrate and they, you know, say Allahu Akbar. And they, you know, يعني, come up with statements like, you know, uh, a thousand shahadas this year, two thousand shahadas last year. But it's a numbers game. 
and I've shared this statistic before, but in the United States, out of 100 people who accept Islam in a given year, 99% leave, leave Islam within one year, right? So them entering into Islam is really not يعني, a guarantee that they're going to stay in it, okay? But my understanding of what true Islam is, is really this common ground here that, that unites and, and brings us together with all the prophets. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent prophets and messengers and books to all of humanity. More than 120,000 prophets throughout different places and times in different languages. And they all came with what? A different message or the same message? The same message. Okay? The same message of Islam. Okay? Did Isa preach Christianity? What, what did he preach? Islam, right? Islam. Okay? Uh, what, did the Jews, what did Musa preach? Islam. So the followers of Musa were Muslimin. The followers of Isa were Muslimin. And so on and so, on and so forth. What happens every time the Prophet died? When, when Musa salam preached this message and he died, what did the people do after him? They created their own organized religion, right? Why? Why did they do that? Again, power, can, like yani, other masalah, okay? And by the way, notice how this circle is so big, which means it's so complicated, yes? Whereas the essential message is so beautiful, it's simple, it's straight to the point, yes? Same thing with Isa After he died, they created this thing called Christianity. Okay? And then, same thing happened with probably these religions. You know, Buddha and others, like Brahma, and they probably came with the same true message, and then after they died, the religion was changed. And Prophet Muhammad also came with the same message. Okay? And then after he died, what did we do? We, we turned it into an organized religion. Okay? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Like there is only one way of life. And what is it called? Islam. All these other religions is stuff that we have made up. Okay? And why do these atheists, why are they allergic to religion? Very good. They're seeing like the, the ugly side of religion, right? What are they not seeing? The beauty that unites everybody together. Okay? Fa and by the way, you know what, who are the first people who are going to accept true Islam? The genuine atheists. The genuine atheists are going to be the first one to accept Islam. Who can tell me why? Think about it. Because they're searching. And why did I say genuine atheists? Is there another type of atheist? Yeah, there's two types of atheism, by the way. There's genuine atheists who are searching for the truth. And there's another type of atheist. Yeah, someone who's arrogant. Someone who just wants to party and they, wanna, they don't want accountability. They don't want a God to tell them what not to do and what to do. But to justify their fun in life, what's the easiest way? I don't believe in God. Khalas. So they don't really care about God. Yeah? So that, that attitude is, well, religion, no religion, I don't care. I want to go to the club. I want to smoke that joint. I want to have that drink. I want to sleep with her. That's all they care about. Yeah? 
So for them, they're not really serious about religion. They're not genuine seekers. Okay? But the genuine seeker, atheist, the first one to accept this. Okay? And don't be surprised if, like, yani, Yes, they're an empty glass. What's easier to fill an empty glass or to, you know, fill a filthy glass? Yeah, empty glass. Because the filthy glass, you're going to first have to empty it, wash it, polish it, and then pour in new water, right? Yeah. So these are all filled up glasses. And by the way, yani, another very, very, very important point, okay? Why did Allah keep sending prophet after prophet after prophet after prophet? Why? So let's give, this, give you the scenario of Musa a.s. He came before Isa, right? He came with this message. After he died, this religion was made up. Why did Allah send Isa a.s. after him? To bring people back to? Very good. The true Islam, yes? And what happened to him? What did the people do? What did these guys do to Isa a.s.? Have you guys read history? What did these guys do to Isa a.s.? They, they, and they attempted to crucify him, right? They basically killed him, yani. Attempted to kill him. Why? Because he came with the true message, yes? After Isa a.s. Uh, came, sorry, Musa a.s. wasn't killed. I'm talking about Isa a.s., right? So every time a prophet came, you know, he was attacked. He was, there was attempts to assassinate them. Were there attempts on the Prophet ﷺ to be assassinated also? Yeah. Absolutely, right? Okay. Because he was calling these people to this Islam. And so there was a lot of enmity. But now that the Prophet is gone, what do we have between us? We have the Quran that's going to be our guide to true Islam. And anybody who calls to this true Islam, what are the Muslims going to do? Yeah, there's going to be a lot of resistance. Okay. But this is not something that yani, it's going to be a, a, a joy ride. Yani. There's going to be a lot of growth periods in it. Okay. Does it make sense so far? True Islam. Why are we studying this now? Why are we going over true Islam? Because we, under, we want to understand kufr, right? We understand kufr. What did we say kufr is? Denial, rejection. Now in this context, what is rejection? So when you tell people this is what true Islam is and they understand it and they decide to reject it. Makes sense? Okay. Why would they reject it? Mm. Comfort zone, right? Survival. I'm surviving, alhamdulillah, I'm praying five times a day, going to the masjid, I'm fasting, I'm... So, comfort zone, why else would they reject it? Why would they reject this? Isn't it a beautiful thing? Let's talk about it, what is this true Islam? You guys want to know my perspective, what true Islam is? Yes? Uh, first of all, Allah calls true Islam in the Quran, Millata Ibrahima Hanifan. Okay? He keeps on telling the Prophet ﷺ, call the people to Millat Ibrahim, the way of Ibrahim. He never called 
the, he never told the Prophet ﷺ, call the people to your private religion or your private cult. Why did Allah tell the Prophet to unite people on Millat Ibrahim? Because that was what's going to unite everybody. It's going to unite the Jews and the Christians and everybody. Even the Hindus, probably, you know, they, they were originated from Ibrahim ﷺ. Brahma, right? <coughs> married to Saraswati. And Ibrahim married to Sarah. Sarah, Saraswati, Brahma, Ibrahim. Yes? Common father. So Allah wants to unite. He doesn't want us to fight with each other. So what is true Islam? Number one, devotion to God and reverence to teacher. Okay. Devotion to God. Why, why is our shahada two parts, by the way? La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. Why is it two parts? Because one part is devotion to God. What's the other part? Muhammadur Rasulullah. Okay. Messenger, exactly. And I like, to, I like to use the word teacher. Who's our teacher, right? Did the other people have different teachers? Yes. Yani the people who followed Isa, who was their teacher? Isa, people who followed Musa, who was their teacher? Musa, right? So now, in this context, why did I say teacher, by the way? Why not prophet? Because when you, when you talk about prophets, fine, yes, we believe in prophets, but there are no more prophets today. But do you, could you still have teachers who are teaching the same true message of Islam? Like the prophets? Are they a majority or minority? Yeah, right? So, you, so in your journey, in your spiritual journey, this is like something that I yani, got clarity about recently. In, uh, in your journey of spirituality, without a teacher, what's going to happen to you? Yeah. You really, really, like, yes, you will grow, but it's going to be slow, right? But when you have, now the question is, where do you find the right teacher? Yes, there's a lot of uh, misinformation from teachers, a lot of, but wh how do you get the right teacher? Very good. Intuition, right? You ask Allah for guidance and He will guide you to the right teacher, right? And sometimes, like, a teacher may have weaknesses in other areas, but He'll give you one thing that will benefit you. So you take that one thing and you go to another teacher and give you something else. So you become like a, um, you know, a shopper around. You shop around for Even guidance. Even Musa was the teacher. Absolutely, yeah. Khidr, yeah. So Musa Islam also went to a teacher, yeah? So devotion to God and reverence to teacher. I mentioned meditation because it makes more sense today. This is really salah, right? But meditation is more common today, more popular. Why do people meditate? Really, the objective of meditation is to still the mind and connect with the soul, right? That is the ultimate objective of salah. Still the mind. Realize that you're not the mind, that you are the soul, you are this ruh, and then when, you, when the mind quietens down, you get intuition, you get guidance. And that's why in Salah you say, اِهْدِنَ الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ And Allah will guide you. Yeah. You don't need to overthink, you don't need to panic. Just slow down the, or, or slow down the noise, lower the noise, and listen to the intuition. Okay? So, critic, yes, please. Absolutely, yes. Nah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Depends. There's 
10 types of yoga. It depends what you're doing. If you're doing hatha yoga, then it's more of an exercise. But there's other types of yogas where you actually connect with God and you are... It depends. The answer, correct answer is it depends. But if your objective is... What is salah, actually? Salah means connection, right? Ittisal. Salah. Ittisal bayna al-abd wa rabbih. Okay? You're connecting. Yes? Again, we've been told. <laughs> and people have different opinions. But again, if you look at the true Islam common denominator, how do the Jews pray? Same as us? Is their salah wrong? How did the Christians pray? Same as us? How did Isa Islam pray? We don't know. How did Buddha pray? How did you know, Brahma pray? We don't know. Yani. That's the objective. And by the way, did Allah mention explicitly how you need to pray? Why? Uh -huh. You see the, the wisdom of the Quran? Like Allah, if He wanted to, He would have easily said, okay, you know, pray five times a day. Fajr is two rakat, say Allahu Akbar, raise your hands, place them on your heart. He could have spelled it out for us in the Quran and solved the problem for everybody. And then we would claim, guys, humanity, this is the ultimate way to pray. All the other ways of praying is wrong. Allah never said that. Allah is just focusing on salah, salah. قَدْ أَفْلَحَ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ هُمْ فِي صَلَاتِهِمْ خَاشِعُونَ Allah says, the true believers have won those who when they are in that connection, they are truly present and they are truly focused. That's it. You achieve the objective of salah. Okay? But it needs a super open mind. Yes? Super open mind to think this way. But why is it so important though? Because without this, without this connection, is salah a big deal in the Quran? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. Uh, and then I mentioned belief in the unseen. Why? It's part of Islam. Why? Very good. God is unseen. Have we seen the prophets? They're unseen. Have we seen the angels? The angels that are out there to protect us and, and guide us. And Have we seen, I don't know, Jibreel coming down with the Quran? No. Have you seen the Day of Judgment? Have you seen Jannah? Have you seen you know, the Hellfire? Nothing, right? So, you know, some people call, this, call these the six pillars of Iman, right? I just called it belief in the unseen. Then Allah just in Surah Al-Baqarah told us that this book will be a guidance for those who are the muttaqeen, those who believe in the unseen. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ فَخَلَاصُ Put it up there, yeah? And by the way, will you pray if you don't believe in the unseen? No, right? So they're connected. الَّذِينَ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِالْغَيْبِ وَيُقِيمُونَ الصَّلَاةِ Absolutely. Yes, yes. Absolutely. So you become less attached to materialism and then you believe in higher powers, right? And then purification, also a very fundamental part of Islam. And I mentioned two types of purification, physical and inner purification. What's the difference? What's the difference between physical and inner? Okay, so physical would be, you know, things like, yeah, why did Allah make, uh, you know, alcohol and pork and all these things 
يعني, things that you should not be doing. Why? Because they're impure. صح? Physically, they they harm you. Yes. Um, and inner would really mean about your character, right? So if you have, for example, jealousy or envy or pride or ego or hatred, then how? Then you need to purify it with what? Forgiveness. You need to purify it with understanding. You need to purify it with love and kindness. You see? Okay. So are these important aspects of Islam? Absolutely, right? So we need to we need to define it in there, right? Because why why am I listing down all these things? Because for many people, Islam is the five pillars of Islam. True or not? Just you know, salah, zakat, salam, Ramadan, Hajj, and khalas, Jannah. Ruwaisi fil Jannah, right? Is that is that common? Do you agree? Is that enough? No. Okay. Where where is these other things? Protection and taqwa is also part of Islam, right? Because what's the use of purifying yourself and you don't have a shield to protect you? What's going to happen to you if you don't protect yourself? You're going to be impure again. But this you know, need to protect yourself and to be careful and to you know, have this careful attitude. Very, very important. And then I mentioned self-development. In it comes studying, in it comes reading, in it comes your curiosity to grow, your willingness to grow. Okay? Part of Islam. Amal, amal, salih. You know, Allah says, keep doing good, good things, keep purifying yourself. And then service and giving. Serving humanity, giving to humanity, action, right? Amal. There's no point in just, you know, being, staying in the mountains and meditating and all this and you're not like contributing to humanity. You're not making a difference in this world, okay? And then last, virtues and values. Right? For example, Allah's name is Al-Salam, so you become a source of peace for those on earth. Allah's Al-Wadud, you become a source of love. Allah's Al-Rahman Al-Rahim, you become a source of mercy and love and care. Allah is Al-Qawi, you help people become stronger and stronger, right? So you see how beautiful these names are and how they can actually come to life. So should I confirm my definition of true Islam? Does it make sense? Yes? Is it a beautiful uh, way of life? How would the world be if everybody lived this way? What would happen? Peace, love, harmony, yes? Jannah on earth, basically. And that's the objective of the Quran, really, is to call people to experience Jannah. Now, can you choose to live your own Jannah, even if the world is going through all sorts of problems and conflicts? Can you choose to live your own Jannah in your life? What do you think? Absolutely, absolutely. Because this is a personal choice, Sarah. No one's stopping you from any of these things. How long will it take you to experience Jannah? It's not that easy. Why? Can you share? Because of the life struggles all the time. Because you're struggling to stay on this path. Okay. Um, yeah, so you can choose to do that, but then you always have your battles. Yes. And life. Yeah, you have your growth periods. Yeah. But it's a choice. 
Yes, it's a choice. And Allahu Alam, I feel that this is like a summary of all the teachings of all the prophets, and that's what they came to, to guide us to live this ultimate life, right? This ideal life. I believe it's very possible for every single one here listening. Okay? Very, very possible. So this is what every prophet came to teach. And of course, what is this? This is we we can call it hijacked Islam. Okay. Hijacked Islam. They just took the name and they added so much stuff to it, they you know, made it difficult, they made it complicated and added a lot of stuff to it. And unfortunately the essence was gone, right? The essence is sadly gone. And I have about 40 points that uh, distinguish between what hijacked Islam is and what true Islam is. Maybe we can uh, cover this some other time. How many of you have heard those 40 points? The difference between hijacked Islam and true Islam. Wow, aghlabkum masawai, huh? Yeah. You want to go over them now or like next time? Now? Yes? How's the energy level? Good. Okay. Let's get let's get through them then. I'll go quick. Okay. Pay attention. Hijack Islam, true Islam. Why am I doing this? Because we need to know the difference. Because there's a lot of confusion. And if we don't define the difference, you're gonna get confused. Okay. So I'm gonna go fast. Yes. So hijack Islam says it's an institutional religion. It's organized. It's closed. You have to enter Islam, and you, you, if you leave Islam, we'll kill you. Okay? Whereas true Islam is an individual way of life. There are no restrictions, there's no boundaries. It's an individual choice. It's not a system, it's not closed. Okay? But here they tell you be loyal to an institution, be loyal to your sheikh, be loyal to people. Yes? Whereas there, who's your loyalty to? Allah and the Quran only. Nobody else, because nobody else, you can't trust anybody else today. Right or no? Next, here there's force, there's, you know, you can't question, there's, you can't criticize because this is sacred. Whereas in true Islam, no, you have freedom of thought, you have freedom of expression, you have freedom to, you know, challenge certain things, challenge your shaykh, maybe disagree with that tafsir, right? You have freedom. In a respectful way, of course, right? In a respectful way, you disagree. And then here there's this hierarchy. You have a system with, like, you know how in the Christianity they have the Pope and then the priest. We've done the same thing. We have a hierarchy where, you know, the systems are controlled by certain institutions. Whereas there, there's equality. Everybody's equal, right? Everybody has the right to access the Quran. Have you heard this before that, you know, sometimes they tell you, well, don't read the Quran because you're not qualified yet. You have to go study under a sheikh. Yeah, you have to go study Sharia for seven years, then you can understand the Quran. Have you heard this? No. Yes? But it's good you didn't hear it. Yeah. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so you have equality. Quran is open access for everybody, inshallah. Okay? It's equal guidance for everybody, inshallah. And here it's about Islam, establishing the Islamic state. It's about, you know, bringing back Sharia law and Khilafah, right? Whereas there, it's about establishing the human being. It has nothing to do with state. It has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with land or any of that. Okay? Here, there is war. There's conflict. We have to fight. Islam is the truth. And let's kill all the disbelievers. And 
you know, spread peace on earth forcefully. Whereas there, no, it's about peace, it's about harmony, it's about acceptance. Accept things the way they are. Here you're being protective of Muslims staying into Islam and not leaving Islam. And you're doing a lot of missionary work to convert people into Islam. Whereas there, no, there's integration, there's coexistence, there's tolerance. The Prophet when he migrated from Mecca to Medina, what's the, what did he do? Did he launch a missionary campaign to convert all the Jews and Christians into Islam? What did he do? He signed a coexistence treaty with the Jews. Okay? Blind following here. Hijack Islam, blind following. You don't understand it, it's okay. Just follow blindly. You don't know. Into miskin, into miskina, you don't know. Right? Whereas there, no, you read, you think, you ask, you reflect, you seek guidance, you seek intuition. Okay? Allah gave you that mind and that ability to you know, get intuition and get guidance for yourself. Here there's consistency and rigidness. Khalas, what the people have been doing over the past 500 years, that's the truth. Don't try to change things. Don't come up with innovation. Don't come up with bid'ah. Right? And then there, no, there's creativity, there's evolution, there's you know, some sort of flexibility. Quran is very flexible. Here, irrational imitation. You're just following. You're doing stuff that your parents did, that your grandparents did, that your sheikh is telling you to do. Just blindly, you're just imitating. Whereas there, no, you're, you're rationally choosing to. You have a choice. It's your personal choice. Okay? How are we so far? Are we okay? Am I going too fast? Okay. So here it's complicated, complex, and all sorts of books, and sharia, and fiqh, and tafsir, and hadith, and tira, and usul al-fiqh, and mustalah hadith, and ilm al-rijal. Right? Whereas there it's simple, it's beautiful, it's easy. It's just, you know, very, very beautiful and simple. Here you focus on secondary details. Am I allowed to wear nail polish? When I pray, am I supposed to, is my hair supposed to show in my hijab? How am I supposed to wear the hijab? Can I have a puppy in the house? Is music haram or halal? Can I have a painting in my house? We're focusing on secondary details. Yes? Whereas there you're prior, prioritizing the essentials, what, the, what humanity needs today. Like there, are bigger, there are bigger problems in life today than nail polish, puppies, and music. Do you agree? Yeah. Here it's about law and theology and history. Again, complication, books. Whereas there, you, know, you just have Quran, you have values, you have morals, you have ethics. You're a good, decent human being. Here you're reactive. When, when someone publishes cartoons of the Prophet and you know, attempts to ridicule them, you react by burning flags and blowing yourself up, right? Whereas there, you're proactive. You're spreading the message of peace, you're you know, living the message, you're being a good example. Here there's an, again, I'm not against tajweed and memorization, it's a nice thing, but that's not what Islam is about, right? That doesn't make your son or daughter righteous. That's no ticket to Jannah, yani, right? If you know tajweed and if you know memorization. So it's more about internalizing the message of the Qur'an. It's about applying it in your life. And yes, these are nice things. It's beautiful, right? Islam isn't against beauty. Tajweed is beautiful. Memorizing is nice. It's cute when you're you know, five-year-old memorize Qur'an, right? But again, it's no ticket to Jannah. 
Here, robotic rituals, you're just praying, you're just reciting, you're doing a khatma every Ramadan, you know, just when are you going to finish? Ramadan's over, okay, let's go to Hajj, or, or let's go to Umrah, and a tawaf, 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 sai, 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 shave your head, khalas, done, right? It's rituals, robotic rituals. The spirit is gone, right? We're there, it's a spiritual experience. Salah is a spiritual experience. Fasting is a spiritual experience. Hajj and zakat, everything is a spiritual experience. It, it changes you as a person. It, you know, you, you have an experience. And there, you're selective, whereas as through Islam, you're, you know, it's a holistic approach to every aspect of your life. Last slide, guys, I promise. Here, the, the message is, lose in dunya, win in akhirah. This dunya is not good. It's filthy. It's for the kuffar. It's the, the you know, Jannah uh, kafir kafir. Have you heard this before? Yeah? So it's true, but yeah, it's the dunya. Remember now, you guys know what dunya means, right? So it's not talking about life. So no, there it's a win-win approach. I win in dunya, I win in akhirah. Okay? The best of both worlds. Here there's this idea of self-deprivation, the jihadun nafs, struggling against your nafs, resisting your nafs. Whereas there, you're actualizing your nafs. Right? A nafs al mutma'inna, the self actualized nafs. Where you're reaching your full potential. To some extent, but jihad nafs actually in the Quran doesn't exist as a term, right? Allah says, Jahidu bi amwalikum wa anfuskum. So you do jihad with your nafs. You don't go against your nafs. Allah wants you to love your nafs. Your nafs is a gift from Allah, right? And yeah, it, it evolves, by the way. The nafs, it starts being amara bisu. It commands you to do evil, but then it evolves to a nafs lawama. The nafs that is between right and wrong. It's Sometimes it's right, sometimes it makes mistakes, then it's guilty, it feels guilty, and it goes back and forth. It does uh, mistakes and then it asks for forgiveness. That's a nafs al And then you evolve into what's known as a nafs al-mutma'inna, where khalas, you become tranquil and at peace, right? And that's really the, the idea. Here, complacent patience, which means you're, you're not doing anything, you're just complaining and you're like, you know, khalas, I have, I'm poor, that's my qadr. I'm sick, that's my qadr. I'm divorced, that's my qadr, you know? Whereas here, no, you're problem solving, you have sabr with persistence, so you're, you're trying to solve your problem, you know that there's a way out, you're seeking help, you're seeking guidance, and you work your way around things, right? Here, it's a black and white approach to life, halal, haram, right? Muslim, kafir, whereas there, it's a beautiful world, there's gray areas, there's exceptions, there's color, there's beauty and everything, right? Um, here you're judgmental about right and wrong, I'm right, you're wrong, whereas there it's about understanding different perspectives. Okay, maybe we don't understand. I mean, I'm reading stuff about Christianity and, and Hinduism nowadays. Wallahi, inshallah, I'll present you some ideas that will blow your mind away about Trinity, right? The reality of what the Trinity is. What is the Holy Son? Who is the Holy Father and the Spirit? And is it really shirk? Is it? Yani, 
there's so many amazing perspectives out there that we've been you know, blinded with uh, not seeing. So yeah, this promotes close-mindedness, in-the-box thinking, whereas there, no, you're open-minded, you're open to ideas, you're flexible. Here, this idea of separation, ahna wa we and them, us and them. Whereas there, no, there's unity. It's us, we as humanity, we're one family. We're all connected, there's no separation. Okay? We all have this ruh. Your ruh is not better than mine. Our ruh is not better than theirs. We all have this one thing that unites us. And then, you know, hatred to non-believers, right? Whereas there, love for humanity. Here you have a spiritual ego. We are right, we're going to Jannah. Whereas there you have humility. And then last thing, fear-driven. Haram, 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 right? Whereas there, it's hope-driven, right? There's, so you start with hope. Fa, for those of you, for the first time, uh, hearing or listening to this comparison, shraikum, like, what do you think? How do you think about uh, true Islam now? Is it nice? Is that a beautiful thing? Yes, I can't hear you. Yeah. Any, any doubts, any comments? Okay. So just to wrap things up, now that we've done this introduction, right? Now, I won't even explain the ayah. You just listen to it and it's, you're going to get the meaning of the ayah. Okay, ready? إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْهِمْ أَأَنذَرْتَهُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Allah then says, خَتَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَىٰ قُلُوبِهِمْ وَعَلَىٰ سَمْعِهِمْ وَعَلَىٰ أَبْصَارِهِمْ غِشَاوَ وَلَهُمْ عَذَابٌ عَظِيمٌ So this is true Islam. Anyone who rejects this, according to the context here, right? People who, remember, what's the three conditions to be a kafir? You get the true message of Islam, you understand it, and you reject it, yes? إِنَّ الَّذِينَ كَفَرُوا سَوَاءٌ عَلَيْمَا أَنذَرْتُمْ أَمْ لَمْ تُنذِرْهُمْ لَا يُؤْمِنُونَ Yes, okay. But do you see how like, these people are non-existent today? There is no kuffar today because how many people have heard the true message of Islam? You guys heard it, it's a big responsibility on you now. Yes, inshallah all of you will accept it. Yani. It's a beautiful thing, yeah? But why aren't they accepting it? Allah has sealed their hearts. It's like game over for them, yes? Even their ears, no matter how much you talk to them about true Islam, they will never believe. In their eyes, they can't see the truth anymore. Allah is not talking about the physical eyes, He's talking about their intuition, their basira, their ability to see the truth. There's layers of ghishawa uh, on their eyes. They can't see the truth anymore. They can't understand. Very interesting way Allah ends this. And we're ending with it now. What does that mean? They'll be suffering a lot in life. And in the akhirah. Why will they be suffering in life? They're living the low life and they rejected this, right? So they're going to be living outside of this. And when you live outside of this true Islam, how is your life going to be? Miserable. Miserable, pain, suffering, yes or no? 
صح؟ فناو and this is the last thing I want to say does Allah want to punish them here? What is Allah telling us? This is one of the laws of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's just, think of it as a law. If you go and touch the fire, what's the law? You're going to get burnt. Okay? Now, do we blame Allah for making the fire hot? No. Same thing with this. Okay? Allah said, follow the true Islam. And you know what the message of the Sahaba was after the Prophet died? Two words. Aslim, Taslim. Aslim, Taslam. What does it mean? Accept Islam, you will be at peace. That's it. Reject this, you will be in pain. And so why don't they see? Why don't they listen? Why don't like what's this what's this disease of the heart? What's what's this khatam? Why did Allah seal their hearts? And by the way, did Allah seal their hearts? Or they chose. They chose. So the sealing of the hearts, again, it's don't think Allah sealed their hearts. This is a qanun. It's a law that if you decide to follow your, your desires, al-hayat al-dunya, and your arrogance, then eventually your heart will become sealed. Right? And then you won't be able to see, you won't be able to understand, you won't be able to listen. You can come and listen to a talk, but it will not make any sense to you. So this is the reality of many people who have like that attitude of arrogance. Does it make sense? Okay. And so if there was one solution to like heal the hearts, what would it be? Ya Allah, who can who can tell me? Because you know the heart has many diseases. We'll talk about it next class. But I just want to leave you with this on a positive note. What is one word that can yani, cure the hearts one thing that can cure the hearts what would it be okay close close okay. it's actually love love right love one word, love. Love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, love for yourself, and love for His creation. And, you know, anyone who would, anyone who would reject any of these types of loves will end up in outside of these circles. This, this message is truly about being someone who is a loving person, someone who loves peace for yourself, and you love to spread it and you, you don't have any ego issues, you don't have any intention to hurt anybody and you love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You have good intentions and you, and you have a good understanding of who Allah is. You know that Allah's es essence is love. He wants what's good for me. right? And that's going to drive you to continue this journey. That's going to encourage you to pray. That's going to encourage you to do good and get on this journey itself. right? But the moment love is gone, and there's selfishness and greed and hatred and jealousy and pride and arrogance. It all goes away. And that's why the Prophet said that in the, in the body there is this one muscle that if it's pure, the entire body gets pure. And if it's corrupted, the entire body is corrupted. And that is the heart. Really, right? 
And so with love, the heart lights up. When the, light, when the love is not there, then the khatam happens. Right? So inshallah, um, we ask Allah to guide us all to the truth and inshallah help us benefit from this, uh, these beautiful words. Sorry for taking too long. Uh, but inshallah we will continue in Ramadan, right? In two weeks Ramadan is going to start? Okay, so do we have any announcement for that? So the, the venue is going to change. Inshallah we're going to share in the group where the venue is going to be uh, because there's going to be more people coming. So we're going to shift to a villa near Sar Masjid. You guys know where Sar Mosque is? Right next to it there's a villa. We're going to get together there after Taraweeh uh, every Sunday. So it's going to be weekly every Sunday. Okay, I'll see you there. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. I've heard about it. How is it? Yeah? Anyone? I, I didn't finish it, but okay. what I learned so far is drop my preference. Like, it's something that I never thought of it in that sense, but you know, it's Islam. And, and I know, like, God has, uh, you know, like, has a mm-hmm. But I always, like, sort of feel like, but I prefer this. Mm-hmm. And if this would happen, it would be great. Mm. So you become more allowing, yeah, yeah. 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 It's not for you, yeah.